What? <laughs> Evan talked first. Cool. <laughs> Do you have something to say, Evan? I like there's no, no context now. Uh. Any of the peanut butter talk we could cover? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Oh. Yeah, let's do Bible time. Mm-hmm. Galatians. <clears throat> Ephesians. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Galatians is Friday night. Yeah, I forget. Mix them up. Ephesians 2. Where did we end last? Uh, 16? S- yeah. Okay, so uh, first thing we gotta do, pray. All right, who wants to pray? Remember, you're being recorded. Oh, so this will forever be imprinted in heaven mm-hmm. and played back mm-hmm. when you stand before the throne. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who wants to pray? I'll pray. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you for this opportunity for us to, uh, um, yeah, talk talk about you. And I just pray that we can learn a lot about you and grow closer to you and that we can just use what we learn today in our everyday life and just, just be better representations of your son. And I just... Pray your hand over this time, and in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right, Evan, why don't you read verse 17? We'll go around one verse at a time. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have us at access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Um, uh, In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay. So, what did we uh, kind of, could you summarize last week in like a sentence? Circumcised and uncircumcised. Right, so who's who? Jews and Gentiles. Jews, Jews and Gentiles. What's, <coughs> who's he talking to and who's he talking about? He's talking to the Gentiles and talking about the Jews. Right, and yes. what is different? What, what's what's he teach us about the Jews and the Gentiles? What are the Gentiles' position with God? Um, Verse 12. Separated? They Separated. Were... Alienated. Strangers. No hope without God in the world. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So Gentiles are, I'm going to use a very important phrase here. Gentiles are grafted in. You'll see why that's important later. Gentiles are grafted in to the family of God. Um, That doesn't mean he makes them Jews or makes them Israelites, 
though he does make them God's people. And so what Paul is teaching the Ephesians is, hey, remember we talked about this last week. Abraham's Jewish. He's the father of the Hebrews, right? So Abraham's Jewish. All the, I mean, the majority of the characters in the Old Testament are Jewish. The Old Testament is the story of the Jews. The gospel, the law is Jewish. The leaders are Jewish. The Bible centers on Jewish people. You get to the New Testament. The Pharisees are Jewish. The religious leaders are Jewish. Uh, the, the Jesus is born. Jesus is Jewish. The apostles are Jewish. The gospel is Jewish. And when they preach the gospel after Jesus dies and resurrects and ascends to heaven, the apostles go and preach the gospel to who? Jews. 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 Right. So, and it's not until we get to Acts 10 that we see... <laughs> It's not until we get to Acts chapter 10 that we see the Jews, or we see the Gentiles um, in Cornelius, his family, getting saved. And the, the church decides, or kind of confirms, not decides, but confirms God's long-term mystery and plan, which was that the gospel would finally go from the, Gentile, or from the Jews to the Gentiles. And in order for the gospel to go from the Jews to the Gentiles, what has to happen? Uh, Jesus has to die. Jesus has to die, and, and then what? Fulfill the law. Okay, he fulfills the law, right? What else has to happen? This is a tough one. You don't even, I don't think we've even talked about this. For the Gentiles to receive the gospel, somebody has to reject the gospel. What? Who rejects the gospel? The Jews. The Jews. So, look at what he says. Verse 17. And he, who's he? Um... And he came and preached. Uh, Jesus? Jesus. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So who are, there's there's three people in this. Who are the three people? Three. One's, a, one's one person. Jesus, Jesus. Jews, Gentiles. Jesus, Jews, and Gentiles. So who are those who are far off and who are those who are near? Gentiles are far off. Jews yeah. are near. Right. Okay. I wish my I wish uh, this Bible capitalized like he when it's talking about Jesus. Well, in the English language, you don't capitalize personal pronouns. Yeah, I know that's true. Or well, any pronoun, unless it's um. Oh yeah, well, not. I mean, you capitalize certain pronouns, but yeah, like he, she, they. You don't capitalize those. Yeah, right. Or a personal pronoun like. He, well, uh, that's not true. Okay, you just don't capitalize he yeah. and him yeah. or whatever. Anyways, um, some people do that. I just out of like, like reverence for God, which is fine. But it's not grammatically relevant. Yeah. Like I, went, I got two degrees in Bible school and they never required it. But people still did it and they weren't docked for it. Mrs. Diggerstrom, she required that we... Well, actually, I shouldn't say she required it, I don't I mean, I always just did it kind of as a habit. Like, yeah, if I was journaling. Yeah. Some people capitalize word, like the word, like God's word, capital G, capital W. I don't. I capitalize oh. God. Not word, though. Unless I'm using the word word as the name of Jesus, like in Revelation nineteen thirteen. Okay. Then I would. 
Anyways, so look at verse 17. <laughs> no, that's a, how that's do a, we even get... Okay, that's yeah, a good... I remember. That's a good... Uh, that's a good rabbit trail. Yeah. Um, okay, look at verse 17. First of many. Okay, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off, Gentiles. And we know they're far off because he just told us in verse 12 that they're separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, and having no hope and without God in the world. They are far off from being saved. And they're not God's chosen people, so they're in big trouble. So he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. So what is that telling us? That Jesus preached the gospel to everybody, Jews and Gentiles. But what we find out, and so notice what Paul does in verse 18, though. So verse 17, he preached the gospel to Jews and Gentiles. Verse 18, he says, For though, I'm sorry, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So you notice how Paul, how Paul jumps from Jesus preached to both Jews and Gentiles. And then verse 18, and in doing so, everybody gets saved. Not everybody gets saved, but everybody can be saved, Jews and Gentiles alike, right? Mm -hmm. So there's something that happened between verse 17 and 18, right? Something happened between these verses that makes verse 18 possible. Jesus came and preached good news to the Jews and the Gentiles. Well, what happened? Well, we skip ahead to the, in the story to verse 18. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So Paul jumps from Jesus preached the gospel to Jews and Gentiles, and he jumps from that right into now Gentiles are part of the body of Christ. So is there like an event that happened? Yeah. So is it when like the Jews like... Um, denied Christ and wanted like Barabbas and then put Jesus up for like crucifixion. Yes, that's exactly what happened. Let's go. Nailed it, bro. <laughs> that was clutch. Go to John chapter one. I'm so clutch, bro. John chapter one. Okay, verse 9. <clears throat> the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Who's that? Uh, Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you what verse I'm in. Verse 9, did I say what? Yeah, you said. Oh. Jesus, okay. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world, what? Did not know him. Did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Who's that? Jews. Jews. So he preached the gospel to the Jews. He came for the Jews. He came as a Jew. He came to the Jews, and the Jews did not receive him. And what did you just tell us the Jews did instead of receiving him? Um, they denied him. They denied him, and then they what? Uh, crucified him. Crucified him. Yeah. They didn't just reject his message. They murdered him. Yeah. So that's what happens in verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, that's anybody now. 
So you can see the contrast. Verse 11, it's saying he came to the Jews and the Jews didn't receive him. Verse 12, but to all who did. So there's a contrast there. There's the Jews and the contrast is between the Jews and the people who do believe him. So you've got the Jewish people who reject him and then the believers who receive him. And the believers are made up of what? Kind of people. What kind of people? Jewish. And? Oh, Gen Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. Did Jews get saved in the first century when Jesus was around? Probably. Name 12 of them. I actually can't. I don't think I actually can <laughs> name all the disciples. I'm not going to lie. Acts 1. Um, so my point is the original believers, essentially, if you could call them that, <clears throat> the apostles are Jews. And they're preaching the first nine chapters of the gospel are Jewish and Jews getting saved, right? I mean, mainly it's, it's mainly Jewish, Jews who are getting saved. So tons of Jews got saved. He's not saying no Jews got saved. He's saying that in general, the Jewish people rejected him. In fact, they, the Jewish people killed him. And that opened up the door to the gospel being available to everybody. So now all who receive him, who believe in his name, have the right to become children of God. Would it be kind of similar to say that, you know, people will, will say like America has rejected God, but that doesn't mean every American is not saved. Kind of like in general. Would that be? Well... Or is that I can different? answer that in Romans 11 because that's where I'm at right now anyways. Okay. So go to Romans 11. So to say that God rejects America isn't even a faithfully biblical statement. Well, I said, I said the other way around. Or that America's rejected God? Yeah. Oh. Well, that's also not a true statement, right? Because you and I haven't. Well, that, that's American. what I was saying. So you're just saying, you're just, your point is like, if, when someone says America's rejected God, you're just saying not every person has, but in general we But have. that's what you were saying with the right. Jews. Right, okay. that's what you're asking, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a similar, similar statement. Um, I would say that in general, America has rejected God um, as a country, I suppose. Um, although there's, you know, plenty of genuine followers of Jesus, obviously, mm -hmm. in America. So... Uh, but you can see the direction our society's going, and yeah. it's clear that people don't care what the Bible says or what God, their creator, thinks or says. And so, yeah. And neither did Israel. <clears throat> and so, Romans 11. Okay, so what we're going to see here is Paul is going to fill us in on with information that it should be in between Ephesians 2, 17 and 2, 18. So that jump that he makes in 17 and 18 from he came to preach, <coughs> he came to preach peace to the Jews and the Gentiles. And then boom, everybody's. And now you're both. Now you're just one body. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew anymore. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. There's no separation. Now there used to be a separation. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. Culturally, there was a separation. Relationally, there was a separation. Uh, covenantally, there was a, a separation. There was the Jews and their covenant with God, and there were Gentiles who had no covenant with God other than the general covenants that God made with the world, like we made with Noah, that he'll never flood the world again. 
Um, that's a worldwide covenant he makes with the whole world. So, like, but, but there's a big difference between the Jews and the Gentiles before Christ. So when Christ comes, like we just read in Ephesians 2, he breaks down that dividing wall of hostility, and there's no longer um, a separation between the two. And that's what we see in Ephesians 2. Is he makes one out of the two groups. He makes one man. He creates peace. Yeah. I could be totally off here, but is that why, like, current day, like, Jews, like, they... Actually, I don't know where I was going with that. Like, like current day people who, like, call themselves Jews, um, like... They believe stuff, like, before that point. Like Old Covenant? Yeah. Like a kind of a twisted... Yeah, which is like... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like... um, Anyone who is Jewish today... um, And there are people who convert to religious Judaism who are not... uh, Born Jewish, right? Mm-hmm. So you could be non-Jewish but become Jewish yeah. in religion. Yeah, that's what I meant, like right. religious. And so, Jewish. and I would say, and I and I think that there are plenty of Jews who are born Jewish and have no Jewish religion in their life, right? Mm-hmm. And then there are religious Jews, whether they're born Jewish or not, and many of them are, follow the Old Testament and they're still hoping for a Messiah, you know, and they believe probably believe uh, most of the Old Testament, <clears throat> at least the first five books. And Jesus says in John chapter four, the Old Testament testifies about me. And that's what Peter said to the Ethiopian. He was reading Isaiah, and he says, "Let me tell you about Jesus, because you're in Isaiah. That's about Jesus." And then. Um, Paul tells Timothy that the Old Testament has enough information for Timothy to get saved in Christ. So <clears throat> there is, to read the Old Testament and not find Christ requires blindness. Mm-hmm. Or as Paul says in I think it's 1 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, he says. Yeah, like it mentions like the says tr- that Satan blinds him. It mentions the Trinity, doesn't it? The Old Testament? Testament? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't use the word Trinity, but it refers to God's three, God and three persons. Don't you see the Trinity, like, in creation? Yeah. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So you got the Spirit and the Father. And then you see in Colossians 1 that Jesus made everything. So the Father, Son, Spirit are all involved in the creation. Hmm. Um, And then in the Old Testament, you've got the Father, who is is clearly identified hundreds of times. Um, You have the Holy Spirit, who shows up far less frequently in the Old Testament than he does in the New Testament, although he's very active in people. Um, David, Saul, actually, King Saul gets filled with the spirit, but the God, but God takes the spirit away from him and gives the spirit to David. So David's filled with the spirit. And then, um, you've got 
the son who shows up in Chris, uh, what we call Christophanies, which are Christ appearing like pre-incarnate before he becomes in the before he shows up in the flesh as the baby Jesus. So Jesus showing up in the flesh is Christ, the Son of God, incarnate, right? Yeah, he incarnates into the flesh. Pre-incarnate, before the incarnation, would be any appearance of the Son on earth in flesh before the birth of Jesus. Same guy, just different time periods. So the Son of God, whose name at the time wouldn't be Jesus because he's not Jesus. Jesus is a man, and Jesus is God, but Jesus is a specific man. And so um, the incarnation of, the pre-incarnation of Christ, say like when Abraham gets news that he's going to have a baby. Do you guys remember that story? Mm-hmm. Three men show up and talk to Abraham and they're like, Sarah's going to have a baby. And they're like super old and Sarah laughs. Yeah. And they're like, Ooh, what are you laughing about? I don't believe God. And then they named the baby Isaac because Sarah laughed. And that's why they have Isaac. And who told Abraham that? The son of God. The second person of the Trinity told Abraham that. He showed up with two other men who we presume are angels. Well, which, yeah. So, anyways. Um, so you're saying, wait, hold up. Mm-hmm. So you're saying in that story... That was essentially Jesus in a different body. So we're not what well, we're not told. Well, but it's not Jesus. Well, yeah, but like, but Jesus in the sense of son of like the son of God. It's the same. It's but I'm just saying Jesus did like put a label. Well, so when the son of God, <laughs> when the son of God be, is conceived into the human body, Jesus. That's even the wording there is important because the fact that I just said into the human body makes it sound like they're two separate people. Like there's Jesus and there's God and they kind of came together, but it's, it's not that Jesus is God. Mm -hmm. And. So then how could he be someone else? Because Jesus is also human and wasn't born yet. So, like, we don't know what he looked like. Like, when the Son of God was incarnate in the old... Hey. Sorry. Can you get the boys by eight? But they're done at 8.15. I know, but sometimes they're done. Yeah. Easily. Huh? Yeah, I thought we were going together. Oh. I'll be done too. Okay, sounds good. All right, whatever. What was I saying? Okay, so Jesus, like we don't know the Son of God. We don't know if the Son of God in his pre-incarnate form in the Old Testament, we don't know what he looked like, right? Like we have indications of glory and things like that, but we don't, we don't know if that's exactly what Jesus looked like as an adult man. Or if it's the exact same flesh as Jesus later in the New Testament. Like, we're not told that, so we don't want to make that assumption. All we know is it's the Son of God incarnate. Yeah. 
So, so Jesus being born as a baby, like I'm talking like Jesus, like New Testament Jesus, mm-hmm. wasn't actually the first time that he was in human flesh. Was in human flesh on earth. Son, t- I, I wouldn't say it that way. I said that wasn't the first time the Son of God was in human flesh on earth. But when Christ, when, when, the, when God becomes human in Jesus, that's an eternal placement. Like, think about this. For eternity past, from before the beginning, uh, like, they're, like, we just, we cannot fathom time. Timeless, the timelessness of God, we just can't fathom it, right? Like, it's just beyond us. It's like to imagine that there was no beginning to God. Like there was no start. He wasn't born. He didn't just come to be. He's just there. We, yeah. we literally, he created our reality to be restrained by time. He created our minds and our experiences to be successions of moments. So there are attributes of God that we call communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. Okay, so communicable attributes are attributes that God shares with us. Incommunicable attributes are, are attributes that God does not share with us. So what does God share with us? God is loving, patient, kind, good, righteous, holy. Um, he, he shares those attributes with us because we're made in his image and likeness. And so we are also can be loving, kind, good, patient, whatever, forgiving, um, we can speak the truth like God speaks the truth. We can, so there's a, lot, there's a lot of characteristics and attributes of God that he shares with us. We call those communicable attributes. The non-communicable or incommunicable attributes of God are things like he's all-powerful. He doesn't share that with us. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. Okay? He is uh, eternal. Now, in some ways, he shares eternity with us in the sense that we will live on for eternity, but he also doesn't, we also aren't eternal by nature. We were created. He is eternal in nature. It's only eternal, like, one direction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. His eternality is both directions, right? And so the eternality of God, so when he makes us, he makes, he is timeless. There is no successions of moments for God. It's, he doesn't like live life in the way we do where it's like this moment and then that moment and then this moment and second by second go by and everything that's said becomes past. Because without, before, before creation, time does not exist at all. He created time and he created our reality he created the world and the universe and everything involved in it. He put us on this earth and everything he made, including the succession of time, moment by moment, we are restrained to and will forever be stuck in a timeline. There will be time in heaven. Like eternal life will be timed. It will be eternal. It will never end, but it will we will still experience life in the succession of moment after moment after moment, looking back to things that have happened, looking forward to things that will happen and stuff like that. So 
I mean, I don't know if we'll need to, like, sleep in heaven. I would imagine not. Um, I, like, but I only bring that up to say, like, you know, the idea of night and day, each day passing, and then, you know, as a day passes, you go to the next day and then the next day, and you can be like, hey, two weeks ago, this happened. You know, some of those details aren't shared. Some of them are nuanced throughout Scripture, and you got to kind of impl- find them implicitly in the texts. But the point is that God has always existed, which we know that. We know that. That's, that you learn that as a child. But, have you ever th- but do we, can we really conceive of this concept where God had no beginning, so, like, when did he start? Well, never. Well, so, like, so, like, He's just been around for millions of years? No. Because millions of years isn't even close to eternal. Because it implies a start. Yeah, you can't measure eternity. Or bi- you can't measure it. Yeah, it's not, not billions my, of years. It's not trillions of years. Because like, I try to like I try to grasp it. Yeah. And I just, just can't. Okay, so think about it like this. Can't, yeah. Think about it like this. If you count from zero to forever. When do you stop? Never. Never, right? Okay. So you stop never, right? Yeah. So you could just count on and on and on and on and on. You get to a million, then a billion, then a trillion, then... And, and you couldn't actually count to a trillion in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say you could count... Let's say you, for some reason you could count really fast and you counted to a quadrillion quintillion, septillion, whatever, you know, octillion. Um, I'm just assuming those are <laughs> the tillions. Um, oh, I think that's right. And so just imagine you, you can count that high and you could just keep counting and counting and counting. Now you would, you would still be measuring every number. So like if you said, if you just counted the seconds, we'll say, okay? So instead of just counting really fast, you count the seconds, one two, three, and so on and so forth, and you count every second, and let's say you live to be a bazillion years old, and you just count to a bazillion, and you, you know, or beyond a bazillion or whatever, and, and, and you just, you're counting every second. By the time you, re, I mean, after counting for bazillions of years, you're going to go, well, this is pointless, right? And this just will never end, because numbers will never end, Right? Because they're just representing a reality that you're experiencing, which is second after second after second after second, right? So we have a way to like measure our moments that we call time. And we measure that time with a clock. And we measure the hours with minutes and the minutes with seconds. And so we can count those seconds and say it's been this many seconds. And still... After going on and on and on and on and on and on and on for bazillions of seconds, and you realize this is so pointless, I'm just going to do this forever and it's never going to end. What you have realized is that you still can mark at that moment. Let's say you get to a bazillion and one. You could say, well, I have been counting for a bazillion and one seconds. Now, it seems like an, an eternity, feels like an eternity, but you can get there and it can end. And what have you measured? You've just measured the seconds. All you're communicating is that you've counted the number of seconds or moments that have happened and then passed. Okay? 
the, the thing about that is even the idea of counting forever without stopping counting is, and that could go on and on and on without ending, just like infinity and just like eternality go on and on forever and ever without ending. What you're still doing is measuring moments that happened in succession. Does that make sense? If you count to a infinity, which you can't finish, but you should say count on and on and on to infinity, but you never get there because it's infinite. Whatever number you stop at or whatever number you get to way down the line, all you have done is identified how many moments have passed. And nothing has changed about the reality that it has been moment, 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 right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So we still call numbers infinite because they can go on and on. But it's not the same kind of infinity or the same kind of eternality as God. Because with God, infinite, like if we're counting numbers, you're still measuring moment, then moment, then moment, then moment. When it comes to God, eternal is not moment by moment by moment by moment by moment by moment by moment. Because for God, there is no succession of moments because that requires what? Time. And he doesn't live in time. So God doesn't go, we still, when we think of the eternality of God, like the pre, uh, the, the uh, pre-eternal nature of God, right? That he never started, but is. We think of it as like, a, so we still think of it as like a timeline. And God's way, 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 way down at the just, end of the timeline. And we just can't see the end. And we just can't see the end, but we know he's been there forever. And here he comes zooming up the timeline, stops at us, creates us, lives through that timeline with us, and then goes on to eternity with us forever. And it's like, nope, because you've just put God in a succession of moments, which requires time, which he did not create until he created us. So he does not live, even if you say God is infinite or God is eternal, um, and his eternity in the, his eternity past always has been, it wasn't as if he just was around for millions, gazillions, quadrillions, and whatever years and finally decided to create us at some point. There was no succession of time or moments that God was living through for a long period of time and then finally decided to make us because God isn't in a realm of time. So he is just, he he's, in, he's in himself. So there's a word called the aseity of Aseity is the theological word, aseity, and it refers to God's self-sustaining reality. God is himself. He is sufficient within himself. There's no need for God to be in time. There's no need for God to succeed, to have moment after moment. There's no need for God to create humanity or create time or do anything. Because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit co-equally existed for eternity past in perfect love and harmony. And the reason eternity past sounds like, oh, that was a long time. Because we think time. It wasn't a long time because a long time requires time. And there's no time. So it couldn't have been long. Right? But it wasn't short. <laughs> It, it, but it, it, it's, it's neither. 
It's not. I feel like here's here's I what just you need to realize. More confused than before. No, here's here's what you need to realize. <laughs> no, I get it. His existence before creation is and still is today. His existence is immeasurable. That's the reality. Mm-hmm. There's no way to to put eternity into a scope that we can fathom. So, so like his eternality before creating us is the same as it is today and is the same as it always will be. The difference is he has taken himself in the sun and entered humanity. And that's the point I was eventually getting to is God had always, God had, God had always, and I say always, and what does always imply? Time. Yeah. So that's, so, ta- so I can't use, yeah, we don't have human language that properly encapsulates the eternal nature of God. In fact, we don't have human language that proper, properly communicates the very nature of God in every respect. That's, true. that's why the only words we should use about God are in scripture. So we can say God is loving and gracious and kind and powerful and merciful and eternal and infinite and glorious and holy. We can say all those things because scripture tells us that he's, those are true. But like we don't have like a word that like measures how loving or like how like, right? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, what, what, what scripture, you, the kinds of words scripture uses to describe God is our words like unsearchable. Yeah. Right? And so, like, he's unfathomable, incomprehensible, unsearchable, unbelievable. He's beyond our comprehension. I mean, there's just no other way to, to put it. And so, to think of God in eternity past, we tend to think of God just existing, Father, Son, and Spirit, standing around in darkness, which is, can't be possible. Because there's no darkness in God, so it has to be light. Brightness. His glory is brightness. It's always pictured in Scripture as brightness. In fact, the word glory but literally means brightness. he created light. So... No, no. He created light for us. But what does First John chapter 1, verse 5 say? Oh, I... God is what? Light. 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 Right. So he is light. Is it different than light? Correct. So... The lights, the lights that are on in this room, right? The fluorescent lights in this room or the light that comes from the sun or any other kind of light is simply a reflection of, of God revealing part of his nature in creation. That, that's why he created the world with the day has light and the night has the darkness to show the contrast between light and darkness. That's actually cool. God and... So what was happening before creation then? So this, so this, like, so this is a great question. Is he just floating around and stuff? Like, again, that's, you can't say that. I know, I know. What can you say? Okay, so what you can say, and what we also need to clarify things is we we need to be careful that we still, we can still say things that aren't necessarily, um, aren't necessarily true because... We have to use our limited human language to describe things that are beyond human language, right? Yeah. So we have to say, like, you, what did you just say? Floating, floating. around? Floating, yeah. Right. Well, God's not floating because that would require what? Land. Gra- space. Area. Space. <laughs> it would require land, sky, gravity, space. 
or just let, forget land, gravity, and sky. Like, it would require the concept of space. It would require the idea that there is a. It would require the idea that there is a realm in which God is existing, and if God is within anything, whether it's time or space, if God is within it, then it is greater than God. Could you say and that's not possible? Could you say he was existing? Yes. Let's go. Dude. Wow. So I would put it like this. Before God creates, and again, keeping in mind that he is not he is not eternally existing. But implying before implies time. Right, but we can say that because we're in time. Okay. And so before he made us, right? And, and you know, Charlie, that's a great point because for God the idea of before and after is irrelevant because we've talked about this before. We've talked about this before in study is God is just as much with David, King David right now as he is with us because time is all outside of the like, yes, my brain because I get it though. because we're constricted okay, I, I, to time. I know it's true, but like, I, I'm just kind of believing it because it's the, very the Bible because the Bible says it, not because I actually can make sense of it in my own brain. Exactly, that is, that is a yeah, that's a good statement. And that's that's like I believe it. Like I'm, I'm essentially just faith. having faith that faith. that's true. I'm not like, oh, like here's a Bible verse that helps me logically work through it in my brain. It's like, okay, God said, you know, He's always been, so I believe that. Mm-hmm. Can I make sense of it in my brain? No, but and we try I, to make sense of it. So how do we make sense of it? We think of eternity in a, as a timeline uh, that never started, goes on forever, and he's just like hanging out, do 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 do, and like ten gazillion, quadrillion, bazillion years later, he's like, hey, should we like make something? Right? It's like not not Dude. not even. I got an idea. So what is God <laughs> before creation? He's, he hasn't changed at all. So scripture tells us that, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Specifically says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. God does not change. We know that from scripture. He does not change due to any shadow or light. You know, Nothing affects him. Mm-hmm. He affects everything. Nothing manipulates God or his experience or his existence. So prior to creation, again, no timeline. And there's no space. There's no heaven. There's no heaven. Yep. He created the heavens. Okay. There's no outer space. There's no world. There's no black room or white that's room that's filled with brightness. Like when you try to picture God and the spirit and the sun, you you have to picture them in something. Yeah, right. Like either it's... Dark, like, blackness, but obviously that's not true. Or I just picture them in, like... A white room. Like, it's just white and bright. But even that, like... Okay, so what does Jesus say about... In John chapter 4, what does Jesus say about God the Father? God the Father is... God is... Do you guys know? He's talking to the woman at the well. And she says, oh, you're here at Jacob's well. This is where our fathers come. God is, um really cool and she's talking about <laughs> now she's talking about how people come to this well to worship and jesus says true worshipers will worship god in blank and blank in blank and truth 
Because right. God life. is life. True worshipers of God will worship God in blank and truth because God is blank. Same word. John 1, 4? John 4. Uh, I feel like I know this. 24, maybe. Love. No. Him. No. Uh. Tell us. <laughs> Keep guessing. What? <laughs> I bet, I bet I actually probably could have figured this out. Well, what is it? Spirit. Spirit. God is, he says, God is spirit and those who worship him worship him in spirit and truth. And so God is spirit. So before Jesus becomes flesh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are not physical entities at all. Spirit. There's no physical realm. What we think of as the physical realm was a creation. There was no matter. There was no, there was no energy from matter. There were no molecules. There was no air. There was just God in his existence. And his existence was the Father, the Son, and the Spirit co-equally, one God, so united as one that their unity is genuinely beyond our comprehension. And the fact that God would unite us to that union is an insurmountable amount of grace. So, Father, Son, Spirit co-equally existing in each other's own single yet three distinct personalities. One God, three distinct personalities expressed as Father, Son, Spirit existing in the pleasure of himself. Yeah. Not bodies, not floating, no, no matter, no Did they have time. senses? Like, like voices? Yeah. Or sight? Well, the thing is... There, but that's a, a physical... That's a physical... Those are all physical. So, like, God is... God is... Uh, uh, so, there's a word called anthropomorphism. Do you guys know what that is? When you give something that isn't human, human qualities, right? Just give something that isn't human. human. Like if I take this cup and the cup is walking. Yeah. That's an anthropomorphic statement because the cup isn't a human and it can't walk, right? So to give God, God gives himself anthropomorphic uh, traits in scripture. He, he, he talks about his eyes and his hands and his feet and his heart and his mind and his whatever in his speech right so he has words he talks he sees he hears you know he does and so there's these anthropomorphisms in this in scripture about what god and why does he communicate to us that way because we couldn't comprehend it yeah right so in heaven will we just like all speak like one unifying like language or like like tongues that makes sense because We'll be perfectly united. We'll what be land? as, dude, listen, we'll be as united as the Father, Son, and Spirit as I just described before the creation. So, so, so listen, this is huge. Name. What? We're going to know everybody's name if they have names. <coughs> well, will you have different names? I don't know. Will I still be Charlie? I mean, I think we'll have, I think we'll have the same names. And the only reason I would say that is because he writes our name in the book of life. 
Yeah. So that maybe implies that it's the same name. So will, will that name be different? In a... <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? Spirit, spirit number 37. <laughs> no, because we'll have bodies. Yeah, right. We won't be spirits. We'll have bodies. Yep. So this is the beauty. Well, Listen, I'm going to be like jacked. Oh, yeah. Dude. <laughs> no, actually. You think you can ball now, man. Dude. Wait to get a basketball in your hands in heaven. Dude. <laughs> Dude, okay. I've never been more excited to go. <laughs> like, check this out. Nothing's going to change for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, maybe a little humility. But other than that. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, check this out. Think about God in eternity past, perfectly existing with himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. And God the Father has, this is an idea that Cotton Mathers came up with back in like the 1600s or something. And then Jonathan Edwards, who was um, kind of a, somewhat of a, uh, um, I guess a friend of Cotton Mathers, who's older than Jonathan, anyways, whatever. Jonathan Edwards really is the one who taught this idea mainly. And so Jonathan Edwards describes the Trinity as this. You have the Father, okay? Now I'm gonna have to use language, and this is something that Jonathan Edwards admits. It's difficult to describe the eternal nature of God himself with human language without inappropriately describing him, right? So I'm going to use words that don't act, aren't actually true of him, but we have no other way to, no other word to use. So I'll give you, I'll explain what I'm saying. God, the father exists. God, the father, is he all knowing? Yes. Is he perfect? Yes. Is he all powerful and all present and amazing? Yeah. Is there anything in existence that's more worth the worship and love, is there anything worth it more than him? No. No. Okay. So the father has an idea about himself, right? Yes. Okay. What is his idea about himself? That he's the best? Yeah, that he's the best. But there's nothing to compare him to, so of course he's the best. So what does he tell us he is? The things he tells us he is, is what he thinks of himself. So he has an idea about himself, right? And his idea about himself, he shares with us in scripture, but it's not the complete idea. We're just getting a glimpse of God. Because there's so much, there's an, in, God is infinite. There is no end to him. He's not just like this guy who's really great. He is infinite and we are finite. So the, remember with the comparison between us and an ant and God and us? Mm-hmm. Okay, and how... The difference between us and an ant is this tiny little gap. And the difference between God and, and us is not a gap at all because there, a, a gap would require two ends. And there's no end to God because he's infinite. So there is no gap. It's just an eternal gap. Right? So his infinite nature is genuinely mind-blowing. Okay? And so God is fully aware of himself. It is the acidity of God. He is sustainable in, in, in himself and of himself. And he needs nothing else. He needs nothing. Okay. Well, the father has an idea about himself. And he recognizes, I am so... I don't even know what word to use. Amazing. 
which is just a totally lame word to use about God because there's no word for how amazing God is. He is immeasurably, infinitely great and glorious and wonderful. And he's like, this feeling I have about myself, I have to express it in the other characteristics that I have, like love, (coughs) goodness. And so God, the Father, begets, it's the only word I'm going to use because Jonathan Edwards used that word. He begets a second person. Now, what's the problem with that idea? That there was like a beginning. That there was a beginning where the second person didn't exist. Yeah. Okay. Now, so he begets the second. So we have to put that idea aside for a second and just realize that like we're limited in our language to, because there was never a moment when the sun didn't exist, right? It's not possible because God is three persons, always has been. So there's never a moment when the sun didn't exist. And so, but, but to explain the existence of the sun, why does the sun exist? Why isn't there just one God in one person? Because the father is so unfathomably, infinitely great that he has to express his love and worth and value to himself. So he begets a second person. And who is that second person? The son. The son. What's the difference between the Son and the Father? The, the Son... Nope. I didn't even... Flesh? Nope. There's nothing. Nope. Nothing. <laughs> okay. That's why I said nope, because you're about to give me any answer, and my point was there is no answer. I was going <laughs> to... I didn't even explain myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so, what's the difference between the Father and the Son? Nothing. Okay. The son is, as Paul says in Colossians 1, the image of God or the reflection, not the reflection. Reflection is a terrible word, actually, because he doesn't reflect God. He is the exact imprint of God. So then why would he have a different label? Because he's the son. So that's a, listen. There's a way to answer that, but if I answer that question, that's a whole nother rabbit trail, and then we'll be so off track, we'll never even get back to the point. Okay? Like there's like a billion questions that just... So just, just follow along, and let me finish the concept, and is, when I finish the concept, then you can try to put questions together, okay? Okay. God the Father has this perfect idea about himself. He wants that... He recognizes that he himself requires glorification... And the way to glorify himself is to beget a second person upon whom he can share that glory. So he looks at the son and does he see something different than himself? No. What does he see? Himself. Himself. Is it a copy of himself? No. No. It is himself. That concept alone is mind-bending because you can't. If you made a clone of yourself, that wouldn't even compare. Like an identical clone. From your own DNA, they wouldn't even compare to the father and son's exact identity. Okay? So the father has an idea about himself. And that idea, because only God's ideas can become realities, ours can't. Okay? God has an idea about himself, and that idea begets the second person. And he loves that second person. And what does that second person do back to the father? 
loves. loves. And then what does the father do back to the son? Loves. And then what does the son do back to the father? Loves. And they love each other back and forth. And the father looks at the son and goes, you are glorious. Now, I don't have to say, and again, I'm putting this in human words. So it's just not even a fair statement to say about God. But the father looks at the son and goes, now I don't have to like worship myself alone. I get to, I get to pour my expression of joy in who I am unto you, my son, because you are me. And it's not the same way that Dante's my son. Like, oh, he's a co- he's a, a, a variation of me. He's got some of my DNA. So the father-son relationship that we have on earth is just meant to be a picture, a glimpse, a small sliver of the reality of God. It's not the fullness of the reality. He's not like, fr- he's not like from the seed of God. He is God fully and completely. And so the father goes... I, I need to be wor- I need to be worshipped. I need to be valued. I need to be glorified. Because, and, and so, if I have a son, I get to pour all of my affection and love and attention and devotion and everything I have about who I am onto another person. And the son receives that glory, and he goes, "You are also that." And he magnifies the father's glory by loving him, and their love is perfect without stain or any problem. And that love goes back and forth between the father and the son. And it is so completely and totally satisfying that they need nothing else. (coughs) So what's missing? Nothing. The spirit. The spirit. However, you're not wrong. Nothing is missing from what I just told you. The only thing that's missing from what I just told you is a word that we would change in what I just told you. What did I say the father and the son are doing to each other? Oh, I know. What are they doing to each so other? They're lo- loving. They're loving each other. And that love is the spirit. That love is the spirit. Dang. So, so the, the father and the son, the father has an idea about himself. It begets the idea of the son. The son has an idea about the father and that they recognize their own value and worth and they express it to each other in love. And the love between the father and son is so magnificently glorious that their idea, just like the father's idea about himself begets the son, their idea about each other begets a third person, spirit, who is fully God because God is what? Love. So... So now you've got Father, Son, and Spirit existing in this perfect expression of glory and love and every wonderful thing you, can't, you cannot imagine. There's no space. There's no room. There's no matter. There's no time. It's just infinite value that is truly incomprehensible to us. And so I say all that to get to this point, which I was trying to get to earlier. That all leads to... That is all the Father and the Son and the Spirit have ever known for eternity past. And Jesus, or I'm sorry, and the, and the Father, the Son, and the Spirit say to each other, without argument, because they're the same mind, say to each other, let us make man. Let us create the world. Let us make the earth and the sun and the stars and the moon and the trees and the water and the animals and the fish and the birds. And then 
Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, let us make man, how? In our image and in our likeness. Why? So that 4,000 years later, the second person of the Trinity would leave that eternally perfect union with the Father and become what? Human. Human. Dude, think about what I just described. The father, the idea of himself begetting the son, the son and the father, the father, son and spirit, none of them never existed. All three of them always existed. The begetting that they have for in each other is not a creating or like the father was first and then he had the son and then they had the spirit. Not like that at all. They just always have been. How? Incomprehensible. So, so the reality that this is all the son has ever experienced or known is the perfect, pure, wonderful, unimaginable glory of his father. And that the father, and he loves the father in a way that we genuinely have never experienced. And the father returns that love to the son. The son is like, oh, whoa. Every moment is like, oh, oh my goodness. Wow. It's pure satisfaction, endless joy. It's a perfection that the son knows that we have never known. And then that son enters human flesh and when does he get to go back to where he was in the perfect presence of the father where he's not in a body anymore and he's just the son living in that eternity past? When does he go back to that? When? It's a trick question. Never. 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 Because he's always going to be in the <gasps> body. He's always going to be in. Do you? Listen. Listen. Do. Listen to me. Guys, listen. Do you have any idea? The magnitude of that sacrifice that the Son of God, who for eternity has only enjoyed the perfect presence of the Father in the love of the Father, which is the Spirit, having this perfect union of love and joy and things we can't understand, he leaves that forever to enter human flesh to become a baby to become dependent to need his mother to live a life that we couldn't live and then to die for all of us who reject him constantly and he has seen the glory of god and that's all he's ever known and now he's walking around with us and going you guys got to be kidding me have you seen what i've seen and you're going to choose to live these lives that's you know i'm gonna i'm gonna play a game and I'm going to buy a house and I'm going to drive a car and I'm going to do this and I'm going to care about things that are meaningless. I've seen the father. I've only ever experienced the father. Trust me, that's all you want. And that's why he came to tell us, what are you doing with your life? You need God. That's all there is to it. I've been there. I'm here to testify of the glory and the greatness and the worth and the value. And you are wasting your life on anything other than God. It is a total waste. And then he enters that flesh, lives that life, humbles himself to leave that perfect presence of God, to leave that perfect communion that he's only ever known, to live in the flesh, to become flesh, and to stay in the flesh for eternity. And the Father rewards the Son with his eternal glory. Hebrews chapter 12 says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Meaning he, what's the joy that's set before him? What, what Hebrews 12 tells us is the joy that was set before him is the throne 
that he gets to sit on at the right hand of the Father. So what is Jesus looking forward to? Getting back to the presence of his Father. And he's like, if I have to endure this cross and suffer this pain, sacrifice my life to get back to being with the Father, so be it. Worth it. And in, by doing so, we will, I will not only get to go back to the presence of the Father, I get to bring a whole people with me. And they all get to share in the glory. And the Father's glory will be magnified even more because there will be more people who cherish it. Bruh. And the Son now lives in the human flesh for eternity. He gave up that perfect spiritual union uh, and that, I shouldn't say gave up spiritual union. He gave up the union in spirit to become flesh so that he could return to it in spirit and in flesh for eternity to reign forever. And we, he did it just to bring us along. That's grace. Uh, That's the gospel. So, so when you think about the gospel in those terms, doesn't it feel like the gospel that you hear preached in the church? Doesn't it make that gospel sound kind of lame? Yeah. I mean, it's not lame because it's still powerful. It's still the same gospel. But we just, all we ever talk about is Jesus loves you and died on the cross for sins. It's like understated would be, that's kind of how I would say that. Under, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's to say that Jesus lived, died for sins, rose from the grave is not, is not in any way, shape or form a bad thing to say. It's true, and it is the gospel, and it, it is. Those statements in and of themselves are massively powerful. But when you become a believer and you dig into the word, you start to grow in your knowledge of the gospel. And what you guys just got to experience is a little bit of growth in your, in your knowledge of the gospel because we just got to take your gospel, which was a little, maybe like a nugget in your mind, and we got to expand it a little bit. We got to build it out. We got to kind of blow it up like a balloon, like... And now, boom, your gospel just got a little bigger, right? Because why did your gospel get bigger? What changed? What has changed since before we started and now? Knowledge. Yeah. Of what? The word of God. Nope. Um, you're, not, well, you're right. You're right. But yeah. I want to get really specific. What changed? What, why is your gospel a little bigger now? Why do you understand your gospel a little better now? What changed? You told us. So what did you, so did you learn? Yes. yes. Okay, so you gained, you said it earlier. Knowledge. Knowledge. Knowledge of, of what? God's. Stop. Of God. Of God, period. Yeah. Right. Your knowledge of God. That's all. What is the gospel? God. God. Yes. You get God. Yes, dude. Yeah. So the, if your gospel grows, it's only way your gospel can grow is if your knowledge of God grows. And your knowledge of God can grow because God is infinite. So you can never stop gaining the knowledge of God. Dude, it's all connected. Dude, yeah. And so, so when, when people are like, well, no, God gives us free will. I'm like, what? you just took an unlimited God and brought him out of his infinite universe and put him in a little box where you're in control. Yeah, I actually had a conversation not that long ago with someone that was talking about they're a Christian and I, I believe that they're saved. Yeah. I don't I don't I just 
I just think that maybe they just have a different view of the Bible yeah. in a different way. But anyways, but he was talking about like how he thinks God has given us like a free will and I was kind of just, I wasn't like arguing him, I was just kind yeah. of asking questions like, oh, like why do you think that? And he was talking about like like how Adam and Eve were like examples of that how yeah, that's what Daniel says. He says, like, Adam um, and Eve is, like, like what? a story about free will. You know, he's, <sighs> like, they, you know, because he was saying, like, yes, God created sin, but it wasn't, like, a direct creation. It was, like, he created humans who sinned. You know, God gave them free will, and that's how sin came in the world. And then, I don't know, and then he was saying other things, like, about... Do you notice how they take a true thing in the Bible... And they jump to a conclusion without any evidence for that conclusion. Like, oh, this, say, Adam and Eve sinned, therefore it was free will. It's like, what? Where's well, I, the therefore? I, I think the, their conclusion is like, they made a choice. And they did make a choice. And so therefore, I'm, so, I'm not saying I believe this. I'm I, understand the, I understand where you're at. But, so the problem is that people make a logical mishap in that if I'm making a choice, then God isn't making me make that choice. I can't, God can't be sovereign over my actions and I be free in my actions. Those two things can't exist. That's their conclusion. And that is an illogical conclusion. And then he was talking about how like, It doesn't even really make sense to me, but, like, how God doesn't, like, we were talking about, um, like, dating and mm-hmm. women, and he wasn't saying, he didn't believe that God has someone picked out for you. And I was like, okay, like, how, how, how not? Like, he has everything designed, every, like, he has a plan for you. And so he thinks that in in God's will, there's, like, women that you should, like, follow or, like, go for. Like, Christian women. You, you notice how the, like, their theology of life eventually breaks down and just can't hold water anymore? Mm-hmm. You know, once you start applying that theology to real life, it becomes incomprehensible. Yeah, like I don't even know how to. I don't even know how to like explain what he said because it's just confusing. Well, and then the hard thing is, I was like trying to, you know, be like, oh, like God's got a plan for you, you know. You know, you'll maybe find somebody. He's like, well, he's like, yeah, but it, at some point, it's up to me just to go out, you know, and find her. And so I, I don't know. It just got kind of confusing and. The thing is, there is human responsibility, and we're commanded to operate within that responsibility. Yeah. And that's not, that's indeni- that's undeniable. The problem is that people can't conceive of this idea that, like, they, they automatically think, if God is genuinely sovereign and I don't have free will, then that makes me a what? Robot. A robot. I've heard that a lot. But am I a robot? Do you experience life as a robot? No, of course not. You experience life freely as your choices. But I feel like it's just like 
and people would say, but like, if God can create like the heavens and the earth and everything, pretty sure he can make you feel like you have a choice, you know? Exactly. So think about it like this. Think about the God we just described for a half an hour, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. An hour, right? Okay. <laughs> Think about this God we just described. Infinitely beyond our comprehension. Yeah. He made all of this. Think about how intelligent and brilliant and mind-blowing science is. He created science. Mm-hmm. The operation of molecules. Everything that scientists have ever discovered. Things that blow our minds. That measly little people like us can't even comprehend what scientists are doing. And God's like, I made that. Math. Created by me. Human human existence. Created by me. Breathing. Created by me. Molecules you can't see, but you need them in your lungs. Created by me. Molecules that you breathe out once your lungs are done spending that oxygen. Created by me. And I'm operating the, uh, the movement of every single one of those molecules in the entire universe. Okay. All that created by God. It is not hard at all. Is there anything that's impossible for God? No. Because Jesus says that. Nothing's impossible for God. Mm-hmm. So anything I can say God could do could be doable at least. Doesn't mean he does do it, but it's doable. Right. So if I say something right now about God, it's at least possible. It may or may not mean he does it, but it's possible. Right? Because nothing's impossible. Yeah. Unless it opposes his will. So... Is it possible, it is entirely possible, that God, who is controlling everything, including every thought, every firing of every neuron in your brain that produces actions and words and thoughts and movements and everything, right? Again, like we get back to, when we we, we go back to the physiology of your brain, the movement of, of... Electrical signals, positive and negative electrical signals op- flowing through each uh, tentacle of your synapses, jumping synaptic gaps, and being charged positively and negatively electrically to move those signals. And all those trillions of signals firing at the same time are creating what I'm doing right now talking, thoughts, hands, movement. All of this is the product of billions of neurons firing all at the same time and every so where does the firing begin there has to be a spark to the beginning of that thought and if you're like well i'm the one starting it well who where did the thought to start it come from? i was just gonna say that because wow sorry (laughs) because i was thinking i was like even if you had a thought to start it where did that first thought yeah so then the thought has to have... Oh, dude. So the thought has to have a beginning. And then if you're like, well, I had a thought to have the thought to have the thought. Well, then that first thought had to have it. Somewhere along the line, there has to be an outside source that initiates or fires operations. And it can't be you because you don't have it. So, so ultimately, God is in control of all of these molecules in all of the universe, and he puts these molecules together and makes hard wooden tables, and he makes human beings, and he operates the electrical firing in their brains that creates signals and thoughts and movement and conversation, and all of reality is operated by God all at the same time. It is not hard then 
that that same God who's in control of all of your actions and all of your thoughts and all of your speech and everything you do, sovereignly orchestrating everything, is not difficult to conceive that that same God puts over your concept of reality that part of his creation is how you perceive the reality in a physical world that has physical objects that you can touch and see and operate. You can drive a car. You can touch the table. You can speak words. You can hear those words. We can communicate. Everything's physical. Even sound is the movement of physical things. It's wavelengths and particles and even light. They don't know if light is waves or if it's proton or if it's like, you know, uh, not protons, but like um, if they're particles or if they're waves, either way, it's something and we can't see it, but it's still physical, right? And so everything, it creates this reality and this reality is the kind of the, the curtain that's in front of our eyes and it's the way we operate and interact with the things that God has created. And behind that curtain is an operator who is making everything function and yet he puts before you the experience of your reality being that you're the one who's in operation and therefore commands you to do certain things and puts your choice in your will. He gives you a human will. You operate according to that human will. We can't call it free because he's sovereign, sovereignly in control of it. But it is free in the sense that we feel and experience in our reality the operation of that will. Well, at the same time, Scripture tells us in so many texts that we aren't the one operating this will. He is. So if he's the one operating this will, but our experience is that we're the operator, it's not at all difficult to conceive of the idea that God in his sovereignty, he can do anything creates your reality and your experience as if it's your will that he's the one who's actually operating you, but that's not how you perceive it or how you experience it. Why? So you could experience God in a different and unique and personal way. And in a way that you're responsible for your choices, even though he's sovereign over it. And that is where we enters the, two, the idea of God's two wills, his moral will and his sovereign will. Sovereign will that operates no matter what you do or say, this is what's going to happen. And a moral will is like, do what I say. And if you don't, that's disobedience. If you do, that's obedience. All of that. And again, I can't even dive into that because that's a whole other subject But about God's sovereignty. But it is not difficult. If I can think of that idea, that if I can conceive of and now communicate to you this idea that God sovereignly operates all things, yet my experience is that he's... Uh, is that it's I'm I'm operating freely as the operator, but Scripture tells me He's the operator. It's not inconceivable to imagine that if I can think of this idea, that God already has thought of this idea, mm-hmm. and if He's already thought of it, Him implementing it is not difficult at all. Which is why it works because He's spirit. He's not physical. He's not a being. He's behind the curtain. He's spirit. We are physical, and so now we operate in this kind of like a play production. Like it's all, maybe for lack of a better word, I, this word creeps people out, but like a simulation. 
You know, like this is a simulation. We've got these physical realities that we interact with that are the simulation. <coughs> and behind it is the spiritual being who's not physical, but has put us in a physical realm so we can experience life in a particularly unique way. And then what happens to that creation? It looks at the physical realm and goes, ooh, the physical realm is so enticing. Ooh, girls, mm, food, cool cars, fun video games, sports, fans, friends, family, whatever, and stuff. Ooh, beautiful trees. Ooh, gorgeous oceans. Oh, wonderful sunset. And we, Romans chapter one, we worship the creation rather than the creator because the, the curtain or the facade or the simulation that God has put before us is so enticing because we don't look through the curtain or over the curtain or around the curtain to see the one who gave it all. And that's why we fall for this stupid illogical conclusion that God can't be sovereign over my will because I experience life freely. And it's like, no, your problem is that you don't view God big enough. You have, your God is too small. That's your problem. You don't view the sovereignty of God the way scripture describes it. And so your small view of God limits you to thinking that you are God and you're in control of you. How freaking arrogant and foolish and unbiblical and sinful. And you can... And and this is why I say... You, okay, you certainly can be a Christian and not know that, right? That is, it is not required that you understand what I just said in order to be saved, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So there are Christians who don't believe that and they're genuinely Christians. But I will say this. Can you actually move on to maturity without understanding these concepts about who God is? Can you continue to have a small little view of God and mature in your faith? I don't understand how. You can, you can mature in certain ways. You can learn to be more obedient, and that's great. But who are you obeying? Yeah, You're obeying your small God. It's hard to praise God if you don't understand the fullness of God. Well, obviously we don't, but like more of it. I'll say this. Or minimalizing. Yeah. I'll say this. Everything I just described and explained should produce tons of what if and what about kind of questions, right? Well, if that's true, then, and so it should produce a, a gazillion questions. And those questions are probably going to be great questions. And I do believe I'd have an answer for them because I, I can't think of a question I haven't heard of in these scenarios. And the Bible has an answer for every question I've ever been asked, at least, or any question I've even tried to think of. And maybe there's questions out there that I, have, I haven't been asked. That's very, very possible. But um, whatever questions you have, there's an answer. Now, the problem is we don't have time for them right now. So think of questions, okay? Write them down so you don't forget them because you'll forget them because I'm going to be gone for two weeks. So you're going to forget them. So write them down, bring them back, and we'll discuss them. Can I write down a question that I think someone else would say to yes, you. Yes, okay, okay. yes. Questions that like... Well, maybe you don't necessarily have, yeah. but yeah, just yeah. a question. Because like if I'm going to say this to like one of my friends per se, well, that, I would know, like I would feel like they would ask this question and I want to know like how you would answer it. You know? 
I guess my question would be, how do I share that to someone? I would say because be- I don't feel like I know those things, but I don't feel like I could like really convince someone like you might be able to. Yeah. I guess convince is not really a okay. wise word, but like yeah. Well, you want to you want to convince believers of this because it's true. So convince is a good word. Okay. Um, I'll say this. Keep in mind, I've been teaching the Bible for 20 years. I've been preaching the gospel for 20 years. I am far more practiced in communicating these things than you guys are. In fact, I've been practicing communicating these things before any of you were born. So just so so keep in mind, you're you're probably not going to be able to put these thoughts together in in the same way that I do. And I'm not saying I'm better at it. What I'm saying is I've practiced saying these things so many times. So how do I start practicing you, you have to study it. So there's two things that you really need to do to get to the point where you feel like you can communicate it. One, you need to pray. And two, you need to study, which is what I would tell any Christian. Get in the Word and pray. And study and then start having conversations about it. Like we're having a conversation about it now. Like start having conversations with each other about it. Start having conversations with your friends about it. And don't start with people who are going to argue with you because you don't know what to say. Okay? So have conversations with people who agree with you and start working it out together. Christian and I, we sit in our, one of our offices and we just go at each other. But we're agreed. We agree with each other. But we're just like, we're still arguing, but not, but we don't disagree. So we're like arguing to build our argument together. And he's like, well, well, this verse says that. I'm like, yeah, true, but that verse says that. So what are we going to do with that? Well, I don't know. What are we going to do? I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) You know? So we're not not arguing against each other. We're arguing against a lie or a false belief to build a better belief. And so have conversations with each other. Have conversations by yourself. Dude, I'm in the car a lot. And all I do is talk through theology out loud in my car by myself. I like literally preach. So, so everything I've been saying for the last five minutes, the way I'm talking, I'm, just imagine I'm driving the car and I'm still talking to myself like this. And I'm saying, so if God does this, then God does that. And if he's like this and he's like that, and this verse says that and da, 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 da. And so I do that in the shower with like pretending like I'm a sports podcaster or something. No, I do that like in the shower, like when I'm like thinking of like a cool comeback to say to someone, you know, like if they like bully me. Like I like I like bully myself so that I can create a good comeback. Bro, there's literally there's literally memes about that. Yeah, there's like when I'm in the shower. I think of it. That's literally me. The view uh, or POV of the the shampoo bottle getting rained out by me. After I had an argument with somebody, that is so me. I do that so much in the shower. (laughs) So, so practice. Practice talking through it. And the reason you're practicing talking through it, you're not practicing the conversation so that you learn how to defeat somebody in an argument. That's not the goal. You're practicing the conversation because by talking it out out loud or even thinking through it in your mind, you're working through the kinks in doctrine. You're trying to perfect your doctrine. And if you find a kink and you're like, I don't know what to do with this, You take note of it and you work on it later or you try to figure it out. So all you're doing is practicing the way you think about who God is. 
And the more you practice thinking about God, the better you get at communicating it. Why do I think this way about God? Because I've read a lot about God. I've read Edwards and Piper and MacArthur and Cotton Mathers. And I've read, um, you know, guys, well, I've read the Bible and I've read other ancient authors. And I, I... and I had to do a lot of this reading for school, and I some of this other reading I just enjoy reading, and, and I read the Bible a lot, a lot, a lot. And then I think about all these things that I'm reading, and I start contemplating in my mind and start making conclusions. I'm like, well, if these things are true, then this has to be true about God. Is that true about God? Well, only if the Word of God says it's true about God. So what does the Word of God say about God? And then I have to talk myself through it. It take, took me 20 years to get where I'm at to understand what I understand. And do I, and even though I can communicate it to some degree, do I fully understand it? No. No. So it's not like you guys need to arrive at where I'm at. It's just like I'm on the same journey you're on. We're just at different places. Sanctification. I'm still trying to figure out who God is and I never will. And the more I discover what he's like, the more praise and glory he gets from me because I'm, my mind is blown more and more. And then I hear people talk about God like he's a Superman. And I'm like, oh, you have a lame God. How do you even worship him? You. So, how do you communicate this with people that you know? You just practice. Practice thinking about God. Practice the art of knowing God better by getting in the word, understanding him more, studying him, and then think about the things you're studying. Think about the things we're talking about. Contemplate them. Communicate them to yourself. Have a discussion with yourself. I mean, in, not even with yourself. Discuss it with God. Pray about it. Like, literally, dude, when I went on retreat once, I had this huge suite that was like, I had all this room to walk around. And I literally walked around the living room of my suite for hours talking to God. I wasn't praying in the sense of like, I was on my knees with my eyes closed praying. I was like, okay, God, I'm just going to talk to you. Like you're here in the room with me. And I just worked through doctrine and thoughts and theology. And I just talked to him. And I'm like, but you're, you're like this, then what about that? And you know, and I'm like, but your word says, and so I'm talking to God about who he is. And I'm like, tell me what to think. Show me what to think. What is your, you know, and I just, and, and, and I'm, I'm literally like, it's like sitting with Jesus in the first century and being like, tell me about God. It is like, it, it, it takes work. So we'll get there. That's why we're doing this. Yep. All right. So, uh, anyways, we didn't even get to Romans 11. <laughs> <laughs> Which comes off of the heels of Romans 9, which reveals God's elective sovereign purposes in salvation, which how that and how that flows into the purpose of Israel, which so I guess it was tied to what we talked about in the sense that we were talking about God's sovereignty. But that was an hour and a half. Alright, who wants to pray? I got it. Dante, you ever gonna pray, dude? Dude, come on. What? Are you sure. ever gonna offer to pray? Oh, yeah. All right. Do you want to? Yeah. Okay. Dear Jesus, I pray for this time today as it surely helps us. And I pray that 
we would continue to have these studies and have these types of discussions. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. I think that's the first time in my life I said surely. <laughs> I, I was do guys, like, do you guys get nervous when you're talking and this is on, and especially when you're praying? I, to be honest, I don't think about this. I just think I kind of forget that it's on. Yeah. The only thing I think about is I've kind of have a slight cold, so like I didn't want. I was like holding in coughs and like sniffling. I was like, am I gonna listen back? I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> like dude, you ru- <gasps> you ruined the podcast. Well, I, okay. The reason ruined, I thought about that, you ruined it, Charlie. Was when you were like screaming at Vinny for coughing, <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to know. That's because that's because we're in the middle. I'm like in the middle of making this really important point, and he's like. <laughs> <laughs> It was like the loudest like, cough dude. ever. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like trying to cough. Vinny's like, just, Vinny's a noisy kid. <laughs> I swear I'm not. Like, <laughs> All right, podcast, we're out. Make sure to like and subscribe. Make sure, <laughs> make sure to like and subscribe. Next week, we're going to. If you've made it this far in the video, please unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> please unsubscribe. Okay, seriously, bye.